listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to Expand Your Horizons podcast with Shannon and Lauren. Hey. This week is a really special episode because uh, I, Lauren, am hosting uh, an interview with Shannon. Yeah. Hey. So this is a little bit of a different format. Um, and thanks so much for joining us, Shannon. Thanks for interviewing me, Lauren. <laughs> In our very own recording uh, studio. <laughs> uh, it's... I'm here anyway, but it's great to be a guest this week. It's really exciting. Shannon and I know a lot about each other, um, but I'm actually looking forward to asking her uh, some questions a little bit in a little bit more detail about um, how she got uh, started uh, teaching, um, uh, where she's been, and, and and where she's going. Cool. I'm excited too. And actually, I feel like I learned some stuff about you um, a couple episodes ago when I interviewed you. So yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Let's see what we uh, what we come up with today. So I uh, I wanted to start today just by asking a little bit about um, your background. How did you decide you wanted to um, to teach? I don't know if my story is that different than yours, actually. But um, so basically, I I was an English major in college. So kind of as you like to say, <laughs> unemployable. Um, but what happened was I actually transferred colleges halfway through. So um, after two years, I ended up transferring to a different university, University of Michigan, and that's where I graduated. But in my fourth year, I really had this in my mind that I was going to have to do a fifth year because of the transfer, because I, I assumed that I had lost credits or, you know, I was going to have right. to like make up time and there were different requirements and whatever. Um and I met with my advisor, I don't know, sometime near the end of my fourth year. And she said, yep, you know, you're right on track to graduate on time. <laughs> and I sort of immediately had this existential crisis because I had really thought that I had another year to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I suddenly realized very clearly that I had spent the last four years doing exactly what I wanted to do, which was studying literature. Um, and that I knew a lot about Shakespeare and a lot about Coleridge and, you know, all that stuff and that nobody cared <laughs> that yeah. that did not give me any real world skills at all. Um, everybody says, you know, you're an English major, you can get a job in any field, but in a practical sense, I don't really know how that works. And without experience, it doesn't, it doesn't really translate either. You know? Right, right. Like I hadn't done an internship. I just felt really unprepared to suddenly be getting turned out into the world. Um, so I wasn't really sure what to do. And um, so I, I graduated and a good friend, actually one of my housemates at the time, she and I, well, I worked all summer, saved up money. And then she and I did one of those like stereotypical backpacking around Europe for two months uh, kind of trips. Nice. And on that trip, I met a lot of people who were teaching English abroad and just kind of making it work. Um, and I knew already that I liked traveling, but I think that trip really confirmed that um, and that I wanted to try living abroad and then on that trip as well we visited Budapest and I just fell madly in love with the city of Budapest and so those two things kind of came together and I said you know I've been thinking about living abroad um, and I've met a bunch of people who 
are making it seem like that's a really doable thing. I think I can do this and I want to go to Budapest because I love it. Great. So you were set on Budapest then even before like looking into how you could get a job there. Yeah. It was Budapest that drew me um, into this field actually. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so you returned to the U.S. and how did you go about um, like researching your options to, to move abroad? Right. Well, I just spent all my money on that trip. <laughs> so I returned to the U.S., uh, got a job just in a restaurant in Chicago for a while because that's what I felt like doing. I uh, started saving up money. And then one of my good friends from high school, um, she and I started talking about moving abroad together. Um, and I don't even remember where she heard about it, but someone else had told her about the Celta course. Mm-hmm. And um, so she told me, we both started looking into it, and the more I looked into it, the more it seemed like that was really the way to go. Um, I could see, you know, as everybody sort of discovers when they start researching, that it definitely seemed to be the most expensive and the most involved, but it also really seemed like it was going to make me the most competitive. And I had never taught anything before, so the hmm. thought, and I'm an introvert, <laughs> so the thought of standing up in front of a classroom without having really, really solid training in terms of what I was doing. Yeah just didn't seem like an option to me. Um, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm going to need someone to tell me how Absolutely. to do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's sort of how I came across and, Celta. Uh, where did you end up doing your Celta? I did my Celta in Denver. There's a, I think it's called Bridge Tuffle um, Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad lives in Denver, so I stayed with him Great. for the month of my Celta. And what was your experience like on the course? I went in not knowing what to expect. And I loved it. I truly loved my Celta experience. If you've done a Celta, I don't know if that makes me sound crazy because for most people it's quite stressful. Um, I think it helps, honestly, that I was fairly fresh out of college. So I had graduated and then I'd been working in a restaurant for the past like year and a half, two years. So I think my brain was ready to work again, you know, to do something other than ask people how they wanted their steak cooked. Um, So I was like ready for for mental exercise. Um, and I went in, you know, never having taught before. And, um, I was blown away by the quality of the training. I, I think Steph, who we interviewed or who I interviewed a couple episodes ago Mm -hmm. said something about, um, she found it to be magic. And I, I thought something similar. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Like, you know, oh, well you want to teach, I don't know, grammar. So here, this is exactly how you do it. Do it this way. Um, I think that was the most exciting thing for me that all of a sudden I saw, oh, like this doesn't have to be complicated. This doesn't have to be guesswork. This doesn't have to be just standing up in front of a class trying to figure out what to do. They're actually giving me formulas, exact structures for all of the different lessons that I might have to teach. And it just made a lot of sense. Knowing knowing Shannon and knowing a little bit about her, I can I could I can picture her on a Celta course, and I can you know it's like Celta was almost made for someone like her, like someone who who responds really well to to systems, um, and to being shown how to how to do something like yeah okay show me how to do it yes I can I can do that and she's as her business partner I know this is really good under pressure like <laughs> shockingly good under pressure, <laughs> um so it doesn't it doesn't shock me that she that she did as well on on her Celta. I, as she did. Um, is, is there anything that you wish that you had known uh, before going into Celta that you didn't? That's a good question. Um, honestly, not really. I mean, I think most people would say, you know, they wish they had known how intense it was going to be. Um, 
I don't know if this makes me sound crazy. I didn't find it that intense. Like it was a lot of work, but I think because I was enjoying it and because I felt like it was so straightforward, you know, it was like, oh, they're the trainers are telling me what to do. And then I just, I do it. I do that. Like, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. This is fine. I guess maybe the only thing I, if I could go back, I wish I had enjoyed my interactions with the students a little bit more. Mm. I think I was so focused on my lessons and teaching them exactly the way I wanted to teach them that I, I think I lost a little bit of the magic of like really connecting with the students. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that is something I would, you know, if I could tell myself something, like go back in time and tell myself something before I took the CELTA course, I think I would say, you know, spend a little more time getting to know your students and why they're there and who they are. I like that. Yeah. Because they are there and they're people and that's nice. It's nice. So you finished your CELTA. Mm -hmm. You did well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And how did you go about finding your first job in Budapest? Yeah, so um, I actually made a friend on the CELTA course, and my high school friend who I'd said, you know, she and I had been researching this together, she did the CELTA with me in Denver as well, Um, and that helped a lot. So um, this is something, I'm digressing a bit, this is something I'm really, really happy that I did and that I now encourage trainees to do as well, which is work together with your peers. That's smart. Um, She and I, you know, already knew each other, but then we met we became pretty good friends with a couple other candidates on the course and we would have like study parties. Like we would all get together after class or on the weekends and like work on our assignments together, bounce lesson ideas off each other. Um, and it helped so much. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I did that. So one of those people, one of those other candidates that we spent a lot of time working with, um, he and I became friends on the course because he'd said at the beginning of the course that he was also hoping to move to Budapest. Nice. Um, so he ended up going about a month before I did. I ended up staying for the summer and doing some traveling around the U.S. Um, and so by the time he got there and I was kind of ready to, to go, um, he had already interviewed and gotten hired at a language school. Um, it's called Katedra Nielbiskola, Katedra Language School. It's the biggest language school in Hungary. Um, and so he had already put in a good word about me nice. <laughs> to... <laughs> To the director of studies. And so I, he was like, yeah, email her. Uh, so before I went, I was fortunate enough to already have this connection. Nice. I sent her an email, sent her my resume, and um, I had an interview scheduled when I arrived in Budapest. Um, had I not had that situation, and I guess if I were just sort of going in blind, at least for Eastern Central Europe, I'd still recommend that you can do that. Like you can just Google private language schools in yep. whatever city and then just start start researching, start yep. sending out your Absolutely. CV. Um, it's worth a try. You know, they're almost always, I would say, interested at least in seeing um, native English speakers or English speakers in general applying. Uh, what was teaching like uh, in Budapest? Good. So I was working at a private language school. Um, and so the way I don't know how common this is, I don't think this is common on other continents. I don't know how common it is in other European countries, but it's very common, at least in Hungary and I think in that region where the teachers, like instead of being on one big, long, year long, for example, contract with set hours, the teachers were almost, we almost worked as kind of independent contractors or freelancers. So I would sign an individual contract for each class that I was teaching. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the director of studies would come to me and say, 
okay, we have an upper intermediate general English class that's going to start, you know, Tuesdays and Thursday evenings from 6 to 7.30 p.m. It runs for six weeks. Um, do you want it or not? Like, does it fit into your schedule? And I, we had a set hourly rate, so I would know that, you know, okay, I'm going to get this hourly rate mm-hmm. for that amount of time. And if I was available, I could take it or I could decline it. Nice. Um, so it was pretty nice. You could kind of build your own schedule that way. Yeah. As is common while working in private language schools, my schedule basically ended up being a lot of early mornings. I would teach business classes early, like from 7 or 7.30 a.m. to mm-hmm. 9 or 9.30 because students um, would come in early and have lessons at their company before they started work. Um, and then there was a big demand for general English in the evenings because students would finish work. I was teaching adults, should mention that. Uh, so students would finish work and then want to come take classes at the language school. So my schedule definitely at first was a bit strange. I had this split schedule where I would do these morning hours and then these evening hours, and then I'd have a lot of free time in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Great for lesson planning, but um, it can make for a long day if you don't have sort of intentional breaks scheduled in. Yeah. And did you always teach at the school? or it, So for those business classes, did you go to the businesses? Yeah, for the business oh, classes, it was still through Catedra, through that same language mm-hmm. school. But then I would be, um, the most of the business English classes were at the company. So I would travel to the company and teach the class there. Nice. So you taught business English, you taught general English. General Any other English. Uh, experience that you gained there? I started teaching a little bit of test prep, mm-hmm. like IELTS and TOEFL. Those were mostly to private students, though. Although I, I did do, I think, one IELTS class nice um yeah but I really hadn't had any training in in test prep so that was something I had to learn myself and I actually learned through getting fired by one of my private students I'm not fired but she basically she used up her package of lessons that she'd bought with me and was like yeah no I don't I don't want to continue um because she had come to me for IELTS it's a big proficiency exam for IELTS lessons and I had no idea what IELTS was Um, so I was still just, you know, trying to teach her general English, like, yeah, this is going to help you. And she was like, yeah, no, No. this isn't. I need like test. It's not what you think it is. (laughs) And then I sort of was like, okay, I guess I need to figure out what that means. And I, I did learn that. And how long did you stay in Budapest? So I was in Budapest about four and a half years. Um, it was a, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for for any listener who wants to go and live uh, in Hungary or teach in Hungary? In Hungary specifically, yeah. I would say go for it. There's a huge demand still for English teachers. Um, I had more students than I could handle near the end. And I was starting to look for other teachers that I knew that I trusted that I could pass students off to. Um, because by the time I left you know, with word of mouth and everything, I had a lot of just private students that I taught outside of the language school. And um, yeah, so I, at least when I was there, which was about five years ago now, mm-hmm. um, I left in 2014, I think, the end of 2014, there was a huge demand. And I imagine that is still probably the case. Um, I would also say you can probably just show up. That might sound crazy, but... I would say do what I did. Do some research maybe before you go. Google private language schools in Hungary. Um, or reach out to me. I'll give you the names of some. <laughs> and um, yeah, then reach out to some, send your CV, but then you can probably just go and uh, get hired from there. Right. And you said you did a lot of private lessons as well. Mm-hmm. I did teach a lot of private lessons. Do you lessons. have any advice specific to uh, setting up 
uh, private lessons, ensuring like uh, that the student shows up, that you get paid. Yes, this was a mistake I made when I first started teaching private students outside of the language school. So the thing about teaching through a language school is you have set rules. Somebody is regulating payment and what happens if the student doesn't show up and all of that. What happens when you're teaching outside of a language school is that unless you set that stuff up, there isn't any of that. So what was happening, the nice thing about teaching private students outside of a language school is you can typically charge a bit more and it's still cheaper for the student because, you know, the language school isn't like that middleman taking a cut. Right. Um, So it was easy to find a price that was good for me and still good for the student. But what would happen is I had maybe, I don't know, X number of hours booked in my week that were just private students outside of a language school. So I'm thinking or banking basically on that money. I'm thinking I'm going to get then X number of dollars for teaching X number of hours at the end of the week. But then, of course, you know, what happens? Students get busy. They have to cancel. Something comes up. They're not feeling well. Um, And if two or three students canceled in a week, that was a pretty significant hit from my pay. Um, So what I did was I started having my students sign a contract when they would sign on with me. Um, And my personal policy was I I asked that if they canceled uh, lessons with less than 24 hours notice, um, they still had to pay half the fee. I think that's um, fair. Yeah, and that seemed fair to me. I'd say, honestly, most language schools, the policy is you pay the full fee if you cancel with less than 24 hours notice. I don't really think that's unreasonable either. Um, and surprise, surprise, as soon as I instituted that policy, my number of cancellations plummeted. Yes. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, you know, students were more motivated to show yes. up. And it's not their fault. It's not like they were, you know, purposely flaking or anything like that. It's just that I don't think they would see it from my perspective like to them it's like oh you know I'm tired tonight or whatever it's fine I'll just go to class next week but they're not thinking that like for me that's my income right and if they're not coming consistently I need to fill that spot with another student I think that's really smart so as soon as I I put that policy in place they made an effort to show up and that was very helpful Um, and you know you don't have to feel bad about it you can just say okay this is my policy here it is you can both sign a little contract that you type up and then it's everything set from the start. Nice. Was it uh, was it when you were in Hungary that you decided that you wanted to be a, a teacher trainer? Yeah, um, I had actually thought about that while doing my CELTA. Oh, interesting. Um, so I remember sort of looking at my trainer and having a lot of respect for her knowledge and her teaching style and her abilities, but also kind of her lifestyle and thinking, okay, I don't know exactly how this works, but I had the sense that she you know, could just take these four-week contracts here and there, which I've come to learn was actually the case, um, you know, get X number of money and X number of money. I, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> X, I'm, <it's, laughs> I'm an English teacher. It's fine. X amount of money um, and, you know, maybe travel to these different places and things like that. And I thought it seemed like a pretty cool job. So from the beginning, I was curious as to how, how I could get there. All right. Um, but then once I started teaching, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a goal I was constantly working towards. It was just kind of maybe always in the back of my mind. It's good though, right? Like yeah. sort of this target, you know, once you gain enough experience or whatever. Right. But you did do your Delta when you I were did, there, right? Was that, was that with the intention to become a, a trainer? Actually, not really. Um, I This sounds weird, but I 
don't really know why I did my Delta at the time. <laughs> Professional development. Yeah, I, I did it because I like learning. And it, for me, it's always important to feel like I'm moving forward. And so after I'd been teaching for probably three years, I felt like, okay, I've got this, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I've got it down. I've learned from a lot of things. And, um, you know, what's next? I'm ready to challenge myself again. I need a project. I need to learn. And around this time, um, one of the senior teachers at the language school where I was working just kind of took it upon herself to be a mentor to me. Mm. Um, she had come to observe one of my lessons and in the feedback session, um, she said, that was really great. Have you considered doing a Delta? And I was like, what's a Delta? <laughs> and so she told me about it and she, she said, I think you would be a really, really good Delta candidate. You're a good teacher. And if you're serious about this, I think, you know, you're ready for it and you should do it. So I looked into it and it seemed like a lot and it seems like a kind of significant financial investment. And even at the time, I really wasn't sure what it would do for me. I didn't really understand, okay, once I get a Delta, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that allow me to do or how does that help me? But everybody around me sort of made it seem like it was this big deal. Like, ooh, the Delta, like only right. the, you know, really <laughs> big teachers do the Delta. And I was like, okay, well then I want to do it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I signed up to do the Delta. And, and it I, is hard and it is it, a big it deal. It is hard. Like, I'll be honest, I did not lose sleep on my Celta course. I mean, I did because I was less than planning into all hours of the evening, but I never lost sleep on the Celta course because I was stressed. Right. Like, because I was worried about my lesson. I lost sleep on Delta because yeah. I was worried about my lesson the next day. Um, that was the first time I'd experienced that. It was a lot. But it was great. I did it at IH Budapest. Um, my trainers were absolutely phenomenal. And um, I did it part-time. So I it was over nine months. I was working full-time at the time. Um, I had to yeah. <laughs> to pay for it. Yep. But um, it was a really, really good experience. Uh, when you decided to come back to the U.S., uh, did you already know that you wanted to apply for teacher training jobs or were you going to apply for teaching jobs? Right. So I have to go back just a little bit to, to get to that part of the story. But um, basically, once I finished my Delta, by the time I was done with it, I understood that it qualified me to be in a leadership role um, in the field. So I kind of I finished it and then I kind of like patiently waited for my boss to come to me and, you know, the skies would part and she would <laughs> give me all these new responsibilities. And that kind of wasn't happening. So I thought, OK, I need to be a bit more proactive about this. So I went to her and I said, you know, I've done my Delta now. So uh, like, what do you want to give me? <laughs> basically?" And um, she said, oh, really? Like I, you know, I just assume with the native speaking teachers, they're just kind of in and out. So I didn't know that you were interested in kind of moving up here, but I'm thrilled that you are. And she said two things. Um, she said, first of all, I'd, yes, let's promote you to senior teacher right now. I want you to take over for basically the the native speaking teachers, I want you to do their observations, give them feedback, do professional development with the staff. Um, and she said, also, I have, how did she say it? Basically, she had gotten us the permission to run a program called the CELT. Oh. Not CELTA. <laughs> it's kind of the Irish, I don't want to insult anybody or any organizations, but it, I think it's kind of like an Irish knockoff of CELTA. Oh, interesting. Very similar. Um, very, very similar to CELTA, but it's the CELT. So she said, I would like you to be the CELT course director and a trainer, basically. 
Um, so I started doing that. It was really cool. So I got started to get some training experience and found that I really, really loved it. Um, and she was also an incredible mentor for me. She helped me understand more how to train, um, how to market the course a little bit, how to give feedback. It was really my first foray into training and she was really, really supportive of me. Um, so I was very fortunate in that. Um, so I, I was doing that for about a year and then just, I had family stuff going on. It just sort of felt like it was time to transition back to the States for a lot of personal reasons. Um, so I started looking into how I could do that and I started looking into jobs that I could apply for. And the job that I found that I really wanted was actually to be the director of studies at a language school in New York at IH in New York. Mm Um, so I applied, I interviewed with um, Tasha, who was running it at the time, Um, and I felt like the interview went really well. And in the interview, we talked a lot about my training experience and how much I was enjoying training and how much I loved being in the classroom. And so when she came back to me, you know, to tell me about the results of the interview, um, she said, you know, I'm going to be honest, it was between you and one other candidate and the other candidate has more academic management experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go with that candidate. But she's like, honestly, because of how you talked about your love of training and your love of being in the classroom, we really feel like we might have a different position that would be a better fit for you anyway. And that position was as a CELTA trainer in Washington, D.C. So she said, as long as you weren't set on New York, would you consider this this position? And I didn't honestly really care where I went. I just wanted to go back to the States. Um, and the more I started hearing about the position, I like I was kind of reminded, oh, yeah, CELTA training. Like, that's actually something I've always wanted to do. Right. Now I have this amazing opportunity to train up as a trainer. And I do, in fact, think it would be a much better fit for me. Um, so I happily accepted the position and moved to Washington, D.C., and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. And there I met my wonderful coworker and business partner, which is you. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky me. See, it all worked out. <laughs> um, what in your experience uh, sort of leading up to now do you think has helped you get to this point? What do you, you know, how do you think those experiences have qualified you to do what we do now? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I really value good training now. I mean, even from the first day of my CELTA course, again, like it blew my mind in terms of how much hands-on practical training makes a difference. That was the first time in my life I feel like I was ever really trained. Like I I left the CELTA course feeling like I had a skill. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's unfortunate that for most of us, you know, our university degrees don't actually do that. Like I came out of my university with a lot of knowledge, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel like I had learned any actual practical skills. And so CELTA was really sort of a revelation for me that I came out of something in just a month with this skill set, this extremely practical, marketable skill set. Like I know how to do this thing and I know how to do it well. And I think that sort of set my understanding of what real learning and training is. Interesting. Um, So I think that's the first thing is understanding how to make training effective, make it practical, make it hands-on, and make it so that the people being trained come away with actual skills and not just knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I think that's helped because everything I've, I guess where I've gone since then 
has been from that mindset. Um, so I really value this student-centered, very hands-on approach, and I value good training. And it taught me that, again, it doesn't have to be guesswork. It doesn't have to be something you just figure out or you just sort of magically understand one day. It's because you're learning it from somebody else. Like you're getting continued training, you're getting continued professional development. Um, so that's why I did the Delta. That's why I you know, have continued to take more courses and more trainings and, and learn more and more. And learn how to do things like make podcasts. And <laughs> exactly. Very, you just got to try it. And even in starting this business, we've, I think, taken that approach where, you know, the first webinar we did, we did it. And then I immediately sat down and wrote a self-reflection about it. Right. You know, all the things that I felt like went well yeah. and all the things I felt like I needed to improve and what my action plan was for improving those things. And um, I feel like coming at things from that mindset, like I can learn from the things that didn't go well and yeah. improve upon them next time yeah. um, has been helpful. Yeah, I think that's helped us a lot to be on the same page is that we have very similar um, careers and very similar training and training experience. And so, yep. when, you know, you can see it too when we collaborate on projects. We're like, okay, why don't we brainstorm separately and then we'll come right. together and compare answers. We'll <laughs> do a pair tech and then... <laughs> Uh, give each other some feedback yeah (laughs) basically what we do it's a lifestyle (laughs) uh tell Um, me uh tell me what your favorite thing about the teffel industry is yeah so i guess first i want to jump back real quick sorry to hijack your Mm. your interviewing here um i think the other thing that has helped a lot that i didn't expect is in being a celta trainer um I've had the privilege of watching so many different lessons and it has actually made me an exponentially better teacher. Um, Like I think now five years into being a Celta trainer, I'm so much better even at teaching than I was when I first started Celta training just because I've had the privilege of watching lesson after lesson after lesson and seeing new ideas that I might not have thought of and really critically thinking about what's working and not working and why. Yeah. And the lessons from this kind of objective point of view. Um, and that has given me more understanding of this industry than I ever could have imagined, I think. Absolutely. And and compassion for, for new teachers too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we remember, you know, because we were we were there once, you know. Also training keeps us keeps us fresh. Definitely. Right? So we always have to be on our toes and you know, be informed of the latest teaching um practices and things like that as well so exactly and still finding some opportunities to teach um like for a while I was still teaching some English classes part-time just on my own time just because again I wanted to keep my skills fresh and put things into practice that I was seeing and as a trainer that I was seeing candidates do um so that's helped a lot as well absolutely nice Um, now would you like to tell us what (laughs) yeah so back to your question (laughs) your favorite thing about the TEFL industry Yes. I think this is a hard question because there are so many things I love about it. I think the the best thing is, is probably just um, the human connection. Um, I feel like everybody probably says something similar, but I think, so I love language. I really, really love language and I love being able to help students communicate. And I think if you've ever tried to learn another language, especially when you're a beginner, it can be really, really frustrating because it seems like you're stupid or something or like you don't know things Mm -hmm. because you can't communicate like communication is how you prove your knowledge and how you prove who you are so you can know exactly what you want to say but if you're not able to find the words to say it 
people kind of look at you like, oh, that's cute. Like, you don't even know what a coffee is. Right. I know what a coffee is. I just don't <laughs> know the it. correct <laughs> words to order it right now, right. you know? Um, and I, I see that frustration with students a lot. And so it feels, it's really satisfying to be able to give students the tools that they need to communicate what they want to communicate. Um, the other really cheesy thing that I just absolutely love is in our multilingual, multinational classes, like the teaching practice classes that we put together for our CELTA candidates um, in Washington, D.C. or wherever we are, um, it's students from all over the world in the same classroom. So they're all in the same place. They've all come to the same city for tons of different reasons. Um, and they're all together in this class now. And many of them are homesick. Many of them haven't made any friends yet. Many of them maybe have a spouse who already has a full-time job or is studying full-time, and so they're just kind of there without a lot of stuff to do during the day. And pretty soon they all start communicating with each other. In English. And in English. <laughs> and going out to coffee after class and hanging out together on the weekends. And they put group chats together where they're all texting each other and keeping mm-hmm. in touch. And like all of a sudden they have friends and they have this amazing supportive community in a place where they initially didn't know anybody and felt like an outsider. And there's something about that to me that's just magical. Yeah. Exactly. Every time I see that happen, it's uh, it's just really heartwarming that you have a French person and a Japanese person and a Chinese person and a Russian person. And, you know, everybody is just chatting together and they all have such different cultures and different experiences and sometimes even different stereotypes. And they're all finding this common ground that's... through language. Yep. It's really cool. Is there anything that you don't particularly like about the industry? I don't know if I would say that this is something I blatantly don't like, but I think something that's a little bit odd or maybe a little bit unfortunate about our industry is that the further you climb or the higher you climb, the further you go um, in terms of professional development and, you know, like sort of climbing the career ladder, um, the more you get into admin and the less you end up in the classroom. And so for me, somebody who's pretty motivated and like I said I always want to be looking and moving to the next step and okay what's next how do I develop how do I develop the further I started to go the more it started to get into desk work which is why many of us get into this profession in the first place is because we don't want to work in an office we don't want to be stuck behind a desk and then all of a sudden it's like you reach the level that you want to reach where you feel like you've achieved something and all of a sudden you're not doing what you want to do anymore right so it's like in order to reach the top, you you don't get to do what you love. <laughs> um, so yep. that's kind of a bummer. But yeah, absolutely. Agree. Yeah, that was a big motivation. I know for us in mm-hmm. starting Tefl Horizons is to find a way where we could still be training yeah. um, and not. I don't think there was any further we could really go in our industry where it wasn't going to be just a lot of admin desk work. Yeah, admin, you know, like making people's schedules and stuff. And that's great right. if that's in your skill set. Um, it you know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily what we see ourselves, ourselves doing. We want to be a lot more hands-on. Right. We want to be connecting with people. We want to be training. We want to be sharing the information and the skills that we have and creating. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you received when you first started teaching? Ah, good question. So I don't know if one of them is advice exactly, but, um, it's kind of a funny story. So I guess I'll go with that first. Um, 
So this is pretty common when you work in a private language school, either a senior teacher or the director of studies, your boss will come in from time to time and observe one of your lessons and give you feedback. It's, you know, kind of how they do quality control, especially for new teachers. So for the new teachers at the language school where I was working, it was the director of studies. So my boss. Um, So the first lesson she came in to observe for me, um, it was with her and she'd given me the courtesy of warning me a little bit in advance before she came, but not a lot. And at this point, so I'd done my CELTA, I was still a new teacher and I had kind of fallen back into some bad habits. One of which was because I love language so much, I would get really excited about just telling students all the things about language. Um, I see trainees do this now and I'm like, you're doing the thing that I did. Um, where you kind of veer from the student-centered lesson plan that you know you're supposed to have, like a CELTA caliber lesson, and you just kind of launch into this like, oh, and you know, isn't this really interesting? And then that also brings us to this grammar point, and isn't this really interesting? So without even really realizing it, I think I had started to do a lot of that. And so she came to observe me, and I thought it was a pretty great lesson. Um, And I have to preface this by saying, Something I've noticed about Hungarian culture when I was there is that swearing seems to be a bit less taboo than it is here. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people swear more. This is just something that I noticed when I was there. I'm not saying it's 100% true. I think people tend, Hungarians tend to swear more, and it tends to be less taboo even in, like, professional settings. Like, even in their own language, not necessarily just in English? Yeah, definitely in their own language. And so then that translates to when they're using English as well. It kind of carries over. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. So my boss came, she observed my lesson, we sat down afterwards to talk about how the lesson went, and she said, you know, it was pretty good, she gave me some positive feedback, um, and then for the negative feedback, or the constructive feedback, I should say, she's like, but there just wasn't enough fucking conversation. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, oh my god, my boss just said the F word to me, as constructive, like, I'm gonna get fired, like, I'm done, she hates me, she hated the lesson, like, she wouldn't possibly have said that if I didn't, like, really mess this up, fuck this up, as, as I imagine she thought at that point, so I was like, th- like it, this was horrible, like, I was so, so terrified, I thought she had to be really upset, you know, to use such strong language, and she was like, yeah, no, but, you know, other than that, it was fine, she's like, just remember, like, we really advertise ourselves as, like, the speaking school, so, like, it's really important that your students are speaking like, a lot more than they spoke in your lesson. Okay. <laughs> um, I was like, noted. Definitely noted. Um, Never so that sort of launched me right back into, okay, Celta caliber. I need to make sure there's at least, you know, 80% student talk time. Nice. So I think that because of just that funny little cultural difference that she wasn't actually that upset, she just wanted to give it a little <laughs> extra emphasis, uh, it really stuck with me. <laughs> and I have made sure my lessons are much more student-centered uh, ever since For then. the record, I've not heard that story before. That's really funny. <laughs> that one I'm not going to forget. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, and I think the only other thing was just uh, to do my Delta, that my the other senior teacher, you know, later on yep. had sort of took me under her wing and said, do the Delta. And yeah. that is what brought me where I am now. So Great. That was That's good advice really good. too. Yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself going from here? So I'm very excited about TEFL Horizons, um, as I know you are too. Yes. And I think hopefully the sky's the limit. I know this is a new experience for us, so we've learned how to do things like this podcast and webinars and blog Setting posts. Setting up a website. like Right. 
Uh, so we're doing that and we're getting into some consulting and online course developing. Um, I, you know, as a teacher, I'm also a lifelong learner, as all of us are. I think most of us get into this industry because we never want to stop learning. Um, and I'm really happy that that's what we're getting to do right now is learning all these new skills. Yeah, because, you know, as you said before, you know, once you start moving up and you, and you gain experience and uh, there, are not, there aren't as many professional development opportunities for, for people with a lot of experience because they're often the ones developing others. But because we've challenged ourselves to learn all these new skills, it's like we're professionally, we are seeking development, right? Um, yeah. By, by learning how to, you know, do graphics or set or make a podcast and things like that. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's, it's been a lot. I mean, we've learned a lot. We have learned a lot. It's, it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's sometimes easy to forget when you get sort of bogged down with the responsibilities of, you know, developing, uh, you know, courses and things like that. But if we look back even a year, I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've come a really long way. That's, um, and I know that something we've talked about this that we're both adjusting to is um, not being in the classroom as much anymore. And I, I think that's not to say that we won't eventually be doing more in-person trainings right. and things like that. I think that's definitely something on the horizon. Um, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> I think for us, it's that's why we get so excited. Like in the last episode, we talked about how excited we were to have somebody um, reach out, you know, in the yep. comments yep. to one of the previous podcast episodes. Every now and then people will um, respond to the weekly newsletter just with a question or feedback. Mm. And we really love that because that's been something that, you know, when we're in the classroom, when we're doing an input session as trainers, we're getting this immediate feedback from the trainees. They're nodding, they're smiling, yep. they're asking questions if they don't understand something. And I think with this content, we're putting out now the podcast episodes, the blog posts, everything I've enjoyed, at least I hope you feel the same way so much creating this content and, and putting it out into the world, but it also feels a bit lonely at this point. So, yeah. Still, you know, we're putting it out there and we're not really sure, um, who's listening or who's getting what out of it. Yep. So it means really, it means so much to us when people reach out with questions or comments, if you know, don't feel like it's annoying or off-putting or no, something like that we no, we are so we really are so grateful for it because you have to realize it. that we we come from a place where we've been in the classroom for well i've been in the classroom for 20 years or you know and so you get that immediate feedback right from the people right in front of you and so right now we're speaking into microphones and we're sort of sending this advice out into the world and right and so yeah we we do we do really appreciate it when we hear from you for sure. Even, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you guys are amazing. Although feel free to say that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it can just be a question. Shannon, um, I think you're amazing. We, you are. Yeah. <laughs> we love, love interacting with teachers. That's why we're doing this. So, um, last question, sort of unrelated, but, um, can you tell our listeners what either your favorite travel destination is or, uh, uh, what your next travel def- destination is? Oh, um, so I've traveled a bunch in Europe. I haven't yet been to South America or Asia, which is kind of crazy. Um, I did go to Ethiopia as part of like a mini study abroad in college, yes. and that was incredible. So I think that was one of my top destinations just yeah, because great. geographically it was absolutely beautiful. Culturally, it was um, very interesting. The food it was amazing. The people were so warm and kind. Um, so that's that was a big one. Um, the other one I would say... Maybe Montenegro. Mm. I love Montenegro. Just as like a relaxed 
you know, beach kind of destination. Yep. It's absolutely gorgeous. That's a good one. Uh, Herzegnovi is like this tiny little town or city on the Bay of Kotor, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Great. So maybe that too. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, that has been my interview with Shannon. Uh, I'm so excited to have been able to host this episode of uh, Expand Your Horizons. Um, and thank you so much for uh, for giving us all of your great advice, Shannon, and for uh, going back through your career and telling us um, you know, how you got here and where you're going. I'm so excited to see what comes next. Thanks for interviewing me. It um, was fun. And to all of you who listen, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you have questions and comments, please send them our way. Um, and as usual, you can find us on social media, um, on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Um, uh, if you've noticed our Instagram feed is, has changed a little bit uh, lately, let us know how you like it. Yeah, that's Lauren's doing. She is our social media extraordinaire, <laughs> our graphics whiz. Um, um, so. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance yet to sign up for your free weekly newsletter, please do so on the website at tafelhorizons.com. Um, slash newsletter so, yeah, that or there's a little tab up at the top too um uh, for free weekly uh teaching tips advice stories um delivered to your your inbox every wednesday yeah the newsletters are really almost like little mini lessons or blog posts so they're more than just like this is what we're doing this week but it's actually teaching tips every week yeah. um cool yeah so reach out to us on social media any way you want to interact with us is awesome we love interacting with you. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'm going to do one of those shameless plugs. If you could write us a review on iTunes, we would be over the moon. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great. Yes. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at tefelhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. Bye.